straight ahead on this October 2020 edition of On SI. A South Shore family loses its patriarch to the pandemic, but his family is celebrating his life and doing their best to turn tragedy into charity with a festive Halloween fundraiser. A first-hand account from the front lines of the COVID-19 crisis, a brave nurse and Myers Corners resident tells her story to the nation as she is named one of Time Magazine's most influential people of 2020. And how the island-based National Lighthouse Museum is doing its best to be a beacon of hope for the city's cultural institutions facing incredible challenges. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Patty Murphy. We begin this month in Huguenot at 254 Nippon Avenue to be exact. That's where the Santa Croce family home can be found decorated with over-the-top seasonal displays. This Halloween is different and difficult for the family, but it's also their favorite holiday and how they are choosing to honor their loved one's memory while raising funds for a local hospital. Our Joe Malvasio has more. In March of 2020, both of Francesca Santa Croce's parents, both in their 50s, were admitted to Staten Island University Hospital South after contracting COVID-19. Susan Santa Croce, her mother, recovered and returned home, but sadly, Joseph, her dad, passed away at the hospital. While his death was a tragedy for the family, Francesca says she remains committed to celebrating his life. He was a man larger than life. I mean, he was literally 6'2", like 300 pounds, big guy. <laughs> and he was just this big force of energy and humor and compassion. According to Francesca, her dad Joseph was known for his community engagement. After his passing, the neighborhood banded together to support her family. Anything that anyone needed in the neighborhood, he was there. So when, you know, when he passed, our neighbors have been so wonderful to us. They've helped us with everything, given us so much support, and they've helped us with Halloween as well, which is our favorite holiday. So it's just really great that we have this community and his legacy gets to live on. Francesca says Halloween was her dad's favorite time of year, and he shared that same love and excitement for the season with his family. Every year they would go above and beyond with decorations to celebrate. I don't know if it's the art aspect or just the spirit or the just the way that you can just be whoever you want to be and you can just dress up and make a day out of it and be whoever you want. And I think that's something that's always appealed to us. To honor his memory, the family decided to continue his Halloween tradition, but also raise funds to support local health care workers by encouraging visitors to make small donations. I just respect them and appreciate them so much. To date, the Santa Croce family has raised more than $1,000 and counting. Francesca says it's one of the best ways she can find peace after this huge loss. No matter what, if you have a good support system and you have compassion and you don't let it, you know, you're allowed to mourn, you're allowed to grieve, but don't let it break you. Still keep your spirit, keep your positivity and give back because that's just the way that you feel better and it's just a domino effect of kindness and a domino effect of things just ultimately turning around and getting better. So yes, I miss him terribly. Yes, I wish that he hadn't passed. I wish this virus didn't exist, but you know, this is the reality of it and we just have to move on and be strong for ourselves and for each other. A Myers Corners resident has been named one of Time Magazine's top 100 most influential people of 2020. Amy O'Sullivan is a nurse at Wyckoff Heights Medical Center in Brooklyn, 
one of the hardest hit communities in the nation. I recently had a chance to speak with O'Sullivan about her experiences on the front lines. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with me. And first and foremost, congratulations on being named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of 2020. Thank you. Yeah, that's super cool. It's just a big honor. I'm sure it is. And I want to unpack more of your reaction to that in a moment. But first, just so our listeners know, you treated New York City's first COVID-19 patient in March. Shortly after that, I understand a few days later, you started displaying symptoms. Do you mind discussing how you felt and how you were treated? Yeah, it was about three days later where I was feeling winded when I would speak, which is unusual because I talk a lot. On Saturday night, I noticed I was uh, waking up short of breath. I couldn't find anywhere in Staten Island to test me or hospital to go to. So I called my wonderful Wyckoff, drove there. And um, funny, I was in the same isolation room as the patient was in uh, a few days prior to that. So it was a little odd being on the other side of the, in the room, on the other side of the door. Right. So how long were you in the hospital? I was at Wyckoff um, from Sunday. I was taken up to ICU. Uh, I was getting worse, progressively worse. The attending, the ICU attending, uh, told me that I had this pneumonia. And uh, mind you, I'm super healthy. I would go to the gym during my lunch breaks. I was not sick prior to that. And because they didn't know much about it and they wanted me to be treated the right way in a hospital that had the equipment to take care of me if anything ever happened, uh, they intubated me and transferred to uh, LIJ in in, uh, Long Island for uh, a good four days. So I was extubated about three days later and uh, discharged home soon thereafter. The first week was the worst week of my life, feeling horrible. It was horrible. What was it that was so strange to you, so unprecedented about how you were feeling? I was just so fatigued. You know, it was like a feeling of I just wanted to die. It was, it was horrible. It was like I was feeling death. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was miserable. My body hurt so bad. My legs weren't working for me. I mean, I'm an avid runner. I couldn't even get up out of bed without help. It's almost like I had to reteach myself how to walk. I just felt horrible, just horrible. And after the first week, I started to feel a little better. About three weeks later, I'm like, I'm ready to go back to work. I did not want to be home anymore. I didn't want to remember feeling bad, and I just wanted to get back to work. Why were you so motivated to go back? And know, did you know at the time the type of environment you would be going back to? Because what was this now? It was April, early April during the big surge? No, so I went back to work uh, March 23rd. It was uh, like a war zone. I, I can only say it was... You know, it was a constant, like an explosion of patience every day, all day long with no breaks. Everyone was so sick at the same time. There were so many staff members that were out sick. Uh, Some staff uh, had to retire because they were so afraid that they were going to get sick and die. A lot of staff members' families had passed away due to COVID. And, you know, there was a lot going on. You know, everyone was touched by this COVID. but. I just, I didn't want to feel sorry for myself. I actually wanted to go and take care of the patients 
as I was taken care of, because uh, there in the ER there was no, there might have been fear, but everyone helped. Everyone was making the beds and cleaning stretchers. It was something that I've never seen before. It was just like a family. Everybody just worked together. It was, it was so chaotic and so overwhelming. And but I just, I needed to be there. I just, it was just in me to go back. I can't explain it. I just, I couldn't sit home. You know, I went back to work just like everybody else, and I just happened to be lucky enough to have my story told because everybody has a story. I would agree with that. I wanted to ask, how long have you been an ER nurse, and what drew you to nursing? I know, like you said, everybody has their story, but I I do want to focus on you for the moment. I've been a nurse since 1992, where I graduated from Borough Manhattan Community College at Wyckoff for almost 19 years now, in the emergency room for 19 years. So I love it. I love it there. What drew you to that, to being a nurse? Oh, my dad was sick. He was dying. And uh, I watched the nurses take care of him. And I was just amazed. And I was in awe of them, like just watching what they would do and taking care of him and keeping him okay until it was time for him to go. It just was my calling. I, I knew right then and there, this is what I needed to do. It's interesting. And, you know, you did paint a very vivid picture of the... ER during those early days of the COVID outbreak. Did anything in your life prior to this prepare you for that experience? No way. I was not prepared for this. I don't think any of us were. We were bombarded with one patient every two minutes in a ER that holds about 35 patients. On some days, we would have 70 patients, 65 patients. It would triple And everyone was sick at the same time because of the nurses and the doctors and the techs, everybody working together. We were able to manage and do everything we could for every single patient. How did you find out that you were named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of 2020? I was introduced to the journalist, Simon Schuster. Time Magazine was in the hospital doing a five-page, six-page spread on Wyckoff. I was out doing um, an interview with the news about the shortage of PPEs in the emergency room because the um, abundance of patients, the hospital couldn't keep up with the demand of what we needed. It was too much for such a small hospital to keep up with. Time was doing um, this piece and uh, I was introduced to Simon and he followed me around as well as many other staff members in the hospital. And I met a film crew as well. Time has been filming a documentary in the hospital related to COVID. From the film crew came a call from Time Magazine themselves uh, in August. Uh, Would you like to do a photo shoot? And I'm like, why do you want to take a picture of me? I'm like, well, okay. And at this time, I was feeling some, you know, post-traumatic like anxiety, which I've never had in my life. I almost bailed out at the last minute because I I didn't feel comfortable. She's like, you know, you're going to be nominated for one of the 100 most influential people. Anyway, I did the photo shoot here in Staten Island. I'm going to say about September 21st or 20th. She told me, I got a call from Time Magazine saying, oh yeah, by the way, Amy, uh, you were chosen. And I'm like, all right, cool. But I still didn't know how big this was until Tiffany, my partner, 
showed me last year's nominees where like this is a big deal like Michelle Obama, Taylor Swift. Then she tells me, oh, okay, by the way, kind of nonchalantly, you're going to be on the cover. I'm like, oh God, you know, like, oh my goodness. And I just felt this happiness inside. It's just crazy. I still don't believe it, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's your reaction to this whole journey now, looking back in hindsight? You know, how, what does this mean for you? When you look at me, you would never know I was a nurse, tattoos, I have uh, plugs in my ear, silver hair. You know, I'm just different. And um, I hope that looking different, you don't have to look like a nurse. You know, you just be yourself. You know, you could be cool and be the person that you are and still be a nurse. You don't have to look like everyone. And I, it's just been really cool. I've met a lot of cool people since then. And, um, you know, and it's also given Wyckoff and Bushwick, you know, some positive words because we're this real small community hospital. And uh, I think that's really important. You don't have to work at a big hospital with a big name to be special, you know? And I think that's what I feel so proud to be a part of, you know? And the ER staff is just so stoked about all this and uh, just so, so proud. If there's anything else you wanna add or perhaps share with people, any lesson learned this year, any ultimate takeaway? that you'd like people to keep in mind? I mean, the most important thing is what I've learned and what kept the whole family safe, even the kids. I mean, the most important thing are mask up and wash your hands and uh, that's the key, safety, keeping things clean. We never come in the house with our scrubs on. We don't walk in the house with our shoes anymore. You know, it's just, you just gotta be very conscious of your environment and um, most importantly, wear a mask. That's really what I can say. Thank you for what you did and what you continue to do. Thank you. Appreciate that. Did you know that you can visit or view 10 different lighthouses without ever leaving Staten Island? That's just what several dozen folks did this October as part of the National Lighthouse Museum's Great Staten Island Lighthouse Hunt. The event covered approximately 25 miles of local terrain, was self-guided and could be experienced as a scenic car ride, bicycle ride, or walk. Linda Dianto, the executive director of the National Lighthouse Museum, says their programs and fundraisers have been completely disrupted due to the pandemic. But by adapting to the new norms, they were able to create a family-friendly event that brought the community together in a socially distant fashion to learn about Staten Island's lighthouse history. We had to turn it around and we were left with what could we do to, to, to bring people together. And the, the uh, lighthouse hunt became a really nice, what I call, keeping people in their pods, but moving them along and getting them to see Staten Island and educate the uh, families that took the hunt. The museum was forced to close in March due to the COVID-19 outbreak. During that time, museum staff adapted by creating a virtual gift shop on the museum website and hosting different competitions to raise money, connect with people, and educate, just to name a few things. They reopened on August 26th and are eager to have people visit and learn about local maritime history. We're right by the Staten Island Ferry. You just take the ferry and walk over, two-minute walks, and you have a great maritime experience. So we have a lot of people from Brooklyn and Manhattan coming and Queens and Jersey and everybody coming out and coming down to visit us. We have on-site parking. 
and you could also walk right from the ferry. So while you're on the ferry, the secret thing is the Statue of Liberty was a lighthouse at one point. So you get to see your first lighthouse out in the middle of the harbor. So I highly recommend people come see what we have and come see about hear about our expansion plans. Dianto says more event plans are in the works to help people connect with the museum and other island-based cultural institutions. And finally, in case you missed it, in our last edition of On SI, I spoke with Eric James and Derek Barrero, who are at the helm of businesses that specialize in helping students succeed. Derek Barrero is co-owner of The Resource Room. Eric James is the CEO of Young Minds in Motion. Due to the pandemic and after surveying the needs of local families, they decided to join forces to help those struggling with the uncertainty surrounding New York City schools. This is an amazing time and things that the parents should really be concentrating on is really maybe not the X's and O's, the, the straight education, but the creativity. We're seeing more creativity than I've probably seen in a long, long time. And we're stressing to all parents that that's something that they should really embrace, really stay on top of, and really make this a challenge as far as creativity of how they can do different things. Because here's the whole entire thing. We really don't know what the winter is going to hold. We really don't know if we're going to have a vaccine. We really don't know how long we're going to be in the situation that we're in. Try to keep these kids as creative as humanly possible. Don't really concentrate on the X's and O's because the X's and O's will be able to get done if the child is creative enough to figure out a different solution to what is really happening. And that's really what's gonna really help them down the road is having the creativity to figure out problems. That'll do it for this edition of On SI. A thank you to Francesca Santa Croce, Amy O'Sullivan, and Linda Dianto. Please check out our website at onsi.nyc and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We feature stories that matter to locals. If you have one you would like to share, email it to us at stories at onsi.nyc. On behalf of the entire team, I'm Patty Murphy. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be well.